0: This episode of The Candid Frame is supported by Fujifilm's new integration with Frame I O camera to cloud. A new integration between Fujifilm and Frame.io allows transferring images or video to the web directly from your Fujifilm camera using C2C technology. Find out more by visiting Fujifilm-x.com and click camera to cloud. We also have the support of Nikon whose latest camera is the Z8. It's a mirrorless camera that provides a small but powerful tool for any genre of photography or video. With its 45.7 full frame megapixel sensor and up to 8K 60P recording capability, the Z8 provides the means to unleash your creativity. Find out more by visiting NikonUSA.com forward slash podcast Z8. Photography is often a solitary endeavor. It's just you, your camera, and your imagination. It doesn't have to be a lonely process, though far from it. There's a special joy when we exercise our lives and creativity to make photographs, but we tap into a special part of ourselves, rich with beauty and joy, but not everyone, especially members of our family, get it. But that doesn't deter us from making what we're meant to create. However, finding a community of like-minded people is important because there will often be times where we need the support and insight of others who understand why we do this thing. Whatever the genre of photography you practice, it's a wonderful feeling when you discover your particular tribe. The Raw Society is just such a place for photographers passionate about documentary and street photography. Founded by Jorge Delgado Yurena and Cristel Enquist, they have created an online resource that uses the tools of the internet to gather photographers to learn, share, and promote work produced all over the world. Though based in Spain, they are connecting people from different countries and cultures into a singular community, passionate about telling stories with photographs. This is IbarianX, and welcome back to The Candid Frame.
1: Welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Very strange to hear you live. <laughs>
0: and, and with a face. I, uh, yeah. 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 I, I get that every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. We have uh, good but, friends in uh, the members of the Royal Society, especially Micah. He's a massive fan of yours. And oh, we told thank him. You. Uh, so if this is going to be out, hello, Micah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's, 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 it's nice. I mean, just being able to connect to, to different people, especially all the way halfway around the world. I think it's very cool, you know.
1: It's definitely something very strange. And, yeah. and I think that it's part of the, what it's interesting about all of this technology stuff is that you get uh, through podcasts. I think it's very interesting. YouTube and these things, they are very powerful and you don't, you don't see it until something happens that someone in Kathmandu recognizes you and stuff like that, which is very weird.
0: Yeah, I, I used to say that I, I think I've heard from every continent except in Antarctica. And then <laughs> eventually, someone from Antarctica let me know that they were listening. No oh, way. Yeah, That's well, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you probably were so, one of the first
1: podcasts that started about photography. and I mean, that was well
0: known. One but, of the first, yeah. but uh, there were a couple of other ones that were out before me. But in terms of this format where it was interviews, I think that I was the only... I was the first one that was kind of dedicated exclusively to conversations and not talking about equipment and gear. Yeah. Because at the the time, I was working for um, several photo magazines, writing about equipment all the time. (laughs) Sometimes I got an assignment to write about, you know, tripods. And I go, didn't I just write about these damn things? You know, but it was cyclical. So I was, you know... I don't mind talking about equipment and gear you know I'm as as much of a geek as anybody else but you know when you're having to do that all the time it gets to the point where it just gets to mind numbing so but sitting and talking about photography and being creativity there's no, there's no cap on that as far as I'm concerned.
1: Absolutely, I think it's,
0: it's the more more interesting part of the conversation. And I've been following you guys, I think, for a little more than a, a year, seeing what you're doing, and and. You know, there's no shortage of, of, of content out there on, on photography, especially on YouTube. But from what I was observing, one of the things that I liked about the work you guys was doing was the community that you were building, and especially, as you just mentioned, uh, the diversity of, of, of the community, that it's really from all over the world. And I, well, I want to talk about the work that you're doing with the Raw Society, but you know, we should start in terms of your own personal stories with respect to the to, to photography. How that? How that start? So, Jorge, what did you start?
1: Well, I, I started photography very early, professionally as well. I I did graphic design, so I was working as a graphic designer for agencies and studios and stuff like that. And because I liked it, and funny enough, after studying. Uh, graphic design, one of my first like internship was with a, with a photographer, actually, a commercial photographer. The thing was the time where all the photographers were switching to digital. So this guy needed a studio assistant that would be able to manage Photoshop and stuff like that. So he hired me as an assistant, uh, as an internship. And, but after that, I went to work for normal stuff like agency and ads and things like that. Um, but I always got like hooked, I, to the, to the photography side of it. And I, I worked as a, as a graphic designer for several years, but eventually, um, I decided just to switch and to go to photography and the first part, the, the first step was kind of easy because I knew companies and, and other agencies. So the commercial aspect of it was easy, uh, but this whole thing, uh, but people know about my work is more documentary, street photography stuff. That was more reason was about 2016, 15, that I did this whole change because of an assignment that we were to Nepal and I, I left all the commercial, well, not everything. We still do some stuff that is commercial, but more in the rounds of, of what it's a documentary and, and travel
0: photography and, and things like that. I, I've talked to a lot of photographers who came th- to photography through graphic design. Yeah. Which kind of sort of makes sense, you know, because you're, you're looking at spatial relationships, line, sort of shape. Um, but why, why do you think that, at least for you, that photography seemed to be a, a, um, a good outlet for you creatively coming since, since you were coming from a, a graphic design standpoint?
1: Well, I think that the, one of the things that happened, uh, the reasons why I, why I did graphic design is because I was a, a graffiti artist when I was a teenager, back in the nineties, <laughs> and, and and it was like a thing for for graffiti people to go to do graphic design. But at the same time, it was a big thing, especially for me, to document the whole the whole thing going on with with doing pictures of, of my friends and what we were doing. So. I I don't know if it's so related to the graphic design part of it or or these more early years trying to to capture stuff like for memories and and this kind of action because we were we were not doing all the time uh, like fancy walls it was sometimes more like a teenager jumping into trains and, and things like that but um yeah I think that that part of 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 more dynamic kind of rush and a little bit of adventure kind of thing was, was part of the appeal, uh, and, and recording the events and memory and stuff was something that I liked since, since the beginning, since I I was a kid, I think my father was an amateur photographer and he liked it a lot. So he gave me a camera very early. And and yeah, so I, I see that graphic design can influence the style and the photography and things like that, because I can tell that, uh, s- some people were graphic designers. And I know the, about them and I can tell mm. visually that th- there is an influence there, but in my case is less the, the, it's less an outlet for creativity that is related to that. And it's more in the, in the sense of, of telling stories and capturing memories and, and all of those things.
0: Yeah. And, Christelle, how about you?
2: Um, (laughs) Mine is a lot less. It's much more recent. Um, I, well, I did a course. Um, I attended Parsons um, back in the day. Well, no, they still have it. But so Parsons has a a university in um, Paris as well. So I was studying a BBA there and um i did an elective that was street photography and that's actually the first time i'd heard about street photography so i did do a little bit of you know playing in the dark room and um developing film and um those kind of things but it kind of got left it was forgotten for a, a good amount of time um i went into advertising i was a project manager and client director after that Um, always probably to the, (laughs) probably to the designer's dismay, I was always very involved with the design aspect because I just loved it. Um, but I was on the client side, managing clients and what I call being a psychologist to clients, (laughs) (laughs) um, and 10 years later, I, I quit everything. I went off, uh, on a six month solo travel <clears throat> all through Southeast Asia and mainly Southeast Asia. But my first stop was Nepal and, um, you know, I, I thought, well, what am I going to do for six months? You know, I need to have some kind of stability, something that I do every day, you know, some consistency because otherwise you're just kind of floating around all the time. and. Um, and so I decided to just document what I was doing and and that I would post. It was the very early times of Instagram. Um, my probably only two followers were my mom and my dad.
0: <laughs>
2: and, uh, but it wasn't great because, um, It was a way of, you know, documenting what I was doing and the little details that very quickly are forgotten uh, with the passing of time. And also it was a way of letting my parents know without having to have a call every single day or every week that I was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very handy. And that really got me into it. Jorge and I then um, coincided or met up in Nepal. He was doing the um, he was documenting one year after the earthquake in Nepal. So it was 2016. And I had been a month uh, volunteering at a, a school. So we decided to travel for a couple of weeks together. We knew each other back in Barcelona. Um, and
1: the rest is history.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we fell in love with Nepal and each other. And uh that kind of yeah, those became the building blocks. We fell in love with Nepal so much that we pretty much decided that we needed to build something that would allow us to keep returning to Nepal and um and
1: to show people in a different way. There are some places that you that you go and it, it's not enough the pictures and because it's mm-hmm. still so, so strange and interesting that you want to experience it with, the, uh, on location with the people and, and we thought, okay, this can be interesting to, to share with someone, how we go around places, documenting, photographing and, and traveling. And it can be, can be cool we, we started the Royal yeah. Society because of that. And, and that was the first, actually the first place that we set a workshop was there. Which mm-hmm. was not very successful <laughs> because no one uh, knew uh, about where, what it was or where it was. Nepal.
2: Well, and no one knew us at the time and, either.
1: Unless, <laughs> unless uh, to do photography, because uh, people uh, with this kind of these kind of trips, maybe people brings about more places like Cuba or or India. Uh, they related to photography, but Nepal or or,
0: or yeah. some of the places that we go is like. Who does that? <laughs> so, yeah, but Christelle, t- tell me about the, the the decision to quit, because I think that e- everybody at some point in their lives thinks about, okay, I gotta quit this because I'm not satisfied, and yeah. some people are able to do it, and other people make the choice not to. What yeah. led you to make the decision to quit and do, <laughs> and to and eventually, sort of transform your lives in a way, tr- transform your life in a way that you couldn't have expected.
2: So, in it, it was an it was a number of things that all kind of accumulated and led up to it, me saying, "That's it, you know, it's enough." So, definitely, throughout the ten years that I was working um, in advertising, you know, I so every so often have you know, the, what I call an existential crisis of, you know, what am I doing here? Am I, in my case, I'm not adding to anything good to the world in the job that I do, even though I love it. And, um, and that started becoming more and more of a, an issue for me. So these existential crises, uh, would occur more often. And then, um, I had a boss who was crazy
0: <laughs> um,
2: and he started getting crazier and crazier. So, um, it came to a point where it was just not, um, I wasn't prepared to deal with it anymore. Um, and, uh, and a breakup. <laughs> so all of a sudden, um, you know, I've. I'm tired. I'm not satisfied with, with what I'm doing and the, what I add to society. I don't have a boyfriend at that time. I don't like my boss and he's making it extremely difficult to like my job. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was in a position where I, I didn't really have anyone around me that needed me to be around. And, uh, and I have to say because this is something you know it's very easy to say, yeah, just take the leap and go for it. Um, but I was in a privileged situation. I didn't have kids. I was thirty three four i was thirty four didn't have kids, no boyfriend, and um I had very recently actually. Um, My aunt had died two years before that. And, um, you know, so I had a little bit of savings from uh, her passing. And so, you know, I I had the money. I had the time and I had no one waiting for me. And I think that it's important to say that because um, it's much easier said than done, I think.
0: Yeah. But it seems like with so many people, Many of whom are not photographers. When they have made their dis, that decision to do that, you know, so many good things end up happening in their lives as a result of that choice. And it's always kind of fascinating to to sort of see and hear about people's decision to to make that to make that switch, because as you said, you know, the more obligations you have you know, the, you know, the more baggage you have, the harder the decision is, Yeah. then sometimes the decision is made for you, mm-hmm. you know, and there are also a lot of stories like that where people, you know, they, they lose it and then they go, well, now I got nothing to lose. But there are other times where people, even though they have all, all that baggage, they still make the decision because they, they just reach a point where they feel like I need to make a go for it, um
2: yeah definitely what i i I would also say um for anyone who's thinking about doing these kind of things um I had set you know I said okay i'm gonna travel for it was initially three months, and I turned it to six, and I was like, you know i'm during this time I'm gonna think about what I'm gonna do with my life and um and you know that was a huge pressure while I was traveling and after I think maybe two months, I I said, you know what, I'm not even going to think about that anymore. I'm going to enjoy this time, which I may never be able to do something like this in my life. Engage and be present, and something will come of it eventually. Um, because it is, it's stressful, you know, having fun and going out and doing all these things that you've always dreamed of doing, and not knowing what you're going to go back to because you have nothing to go back to. Um, but I think that change of mindset was something really healthy and, um, it definitely made me enjoy my trip. Um, it's one of the best experiences of my life, but things do fall into place if you're open and, and, you know, you're receptive, I think.
0: Sorry, have you had a, a similar experience in your life where you decided to make a, a, a shift and take a big risk?
1: Well, not maybe not as big as Christelle. Uh, I would say that when I when I changed definitely from commercial to to reportage, it was it was a kind of a risk because in commercial was the time where where if you were doing advertisement and stuff like that, it was good money. And, and reportage never has been fantastic because, uh, it's, it's how it is. But, um, but I decided to do it anyway. So that being said, I have to say that I've been, I have been a freelance for, for longer and I was I'm used to uncertainty, if that makes sense. So, um, so that I think that if you, if you start to freelancing younger age, you're kind of more used to first of all, when you start to do it and you are, you are 20 or 22, it's kind of, it's okay. Uh, nothing happens if I have a rough month or, or a rough three months and then everything will be okay. So you start to get used to that kind of dynamics. And, and when you change in a bigger way, um, you think about it because you have to, uh, renounce to, to stuff obviously and to, and to, bet on something that is going to be new and it's going to be complicated, but, but the experience behind you helps you to, to, I don't know, to, to give less, uh, drama or less importance to this, to these changes.
2: I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him, because I did have a lot of issues when I went to let's build something new together and have <laughs> zero, um, you know, idea of what was going to happen next month and all that. And it's, it's thanks to Jorge, who's super level headed, um, you know, very sure. Whereas I was like up and down, and one day it's great, and the next day things are falling apart. And he's just <laughs> so consistent that, um, yeah, we. I, I sincerely don't think that we would have made it past, or I wouldn't have made it past a year if I didn't have him next to me.
0: Okay, so, so spell that out for me, because I think I'm getting it. It's like, you, Christelle, yes. are looking at it going, where's the, where's the rent money going to come from next month? Oh, yeah. How are we going to pay this bill? Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the nest egg in case something happens to us? So, I, I you know, yes, Jorge is, is um, I'm sure, very uh, sort of positive looking forward, but he's also not fantasizing. Right. So, what is it that he's doing that's helping both of you sort of persist on it? Because it's really easy when, when there's that sort of emotional dynamic that's sort of in contrast between the two for, for, for things to just sort of like fall apart. Sure. The relation fall apart and all of a sudden saying, someone's got to get a real job, goddammit. You <laughs> no, know?
2: <I'm> <laughs> Um, So, and
0: that's really difficult, whether you're, whether you're business partners or whether you're in a relationship with each other, that's, that's a real, that's a real challenge. So how, kind of spell out a little more how, how you guys ended up making it work?
2: So, um, obviously because of the less experience, um, you know, I would freak out much easier. So, and Jorge's experience, he'd be like, this is normal. Don't worry about it. You know, we just have to continue, Um, and I think that one of, you know, I, I don't know if this is a female thing, but we doubt ourselves. We have a lot less of a, I think that by nature, we're less sure of ourselves, um, and question more, um, question things a little bit more. And, um, so did a lot of convincing of what we're doing is great it's worth it and it's gonna work. Right. And I think through repetition then I started believing it as well. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it, it calmed me down in the moments where I, I really needed it to continue functioning. And, um, and we've had a couple of moments that have been critical of, okay, do we push or do we stop? Um, Especially the, I think it was the first and second year were really hard. Um, and then I think we both, you know, I think that the huge difference is we both deeply believe in what we're doing.
1: Also, uh, for, a little, for a little bit of context, I think it's also interesting because to explain to people like uh, fancy stories of how um, the interesting journey has been. In, here in Spain I think it's important to say I think in the rest of Europe is similar but definitely in Spain uh, we have a system that allows you to fail in this in this sense so if, if you've set a company you start something we have social sec- security here and stuff like that so you're never going to be I and mean, you can just go there and, and look for another job and and that's it you' are not going to be in the streets if if the if the Company fails. Also, we had savings that we invested in the in the company, and 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 yeah, that that helps because it gives you security. Uh, now, uh, knowing more a little bit of uh, uh, American society in terms of, of what happens if you if you misstep with a with a business, for example, you have bad luck, which can happen, right? Um, uh, the medical insurance and these things. So we don't need that for example, which, which I think it's interesting to be aware because yes, uh, we believed in, in what we were, uh, giving to people and what we were selling and we, what we try to, to share with, with the members and, and, and the whole thing. And, and that's why I think it works. And, but also to, to understand in what kind of moment in, in time and and location geographically uh, allows you to do this kind of things, right? the same way that there are other things, for example, that we appreciate, especially in the States in terms of appreciation of, of photography and, and these kind of things. And photography is a professional in, in the, as far as I can tell when we go there and, and that in Spain it's, it's unheard of, <laughs> so, so yeah. there's this different, the opportunities of course in the States are bigger and it's, everything is, is more interesting and dynamic and, and, and People jump into ideas in a way that's refreshing and it's just great. But on the other hand, the security part, it's its definitely something that you have in,
0: in Europe, definitely.
2: There's in, a lower risk.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a lower risk. Yeah. yeah, which may explain, one, it explains why people in, in this country are more reluctant to make the leap because they yeah. don't have that, that that safety net. But also the lack of that safety net. Makes people to go big, yeah. Because if I'm gonna go for this, then I'm gonna go big. Oh yeah. With it, the
1: American ingenuity and and this it's just going forward with everything is just fascinating to me. I think it's fantastic to have. Yeah. In 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 part because it's needed to go as big as you can, probably,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and in part because it's part of the culture. I think. Uh, just yeah Dream big and, and try stuff which is, which
0: is also a beautiful thing to to do yeah everything is big here, not just the meals <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're huge
0: <but laughs> um, the editorial market in in Spain and Europe is is different than it is in the states oh, yeah. um, i was I was involved in you know the magazine industry editorial for gun about 20 years or something like that. And I've seen it change dramatically, which is one of the reasons I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> but um, for you guys, what 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 it's like and how is it markedly different than it is in the States, especially over the last decade? The
1: I mean, never been, never has been good. I mean, maybe in the 80s or something like that, but there was a a, a big thing with, with that kind of, uh, of line of work. But here is, uh, I would say, inexistent. So people don't get paid. There's a few papers, uh, less magazines, even, even big, big names, uh, national geographic in Spain, which I've been working for uh, a number of times. They, they I mean, I'm not going to say how much they pay because it's it's just, uh, it's not nice. Yeah. But, um, is, is, is the worst. So a photographer in Spain cannot really make a living doing, be, doing, being a photojournalist alone for, for like a freelancing, they, you have to do other things, uh, being that, uh, working for other, uh, international newspapers or magazines or teaching or a little bit of everything I would say, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not good. The, the situation also, I, I would say that people here uh, in Spain is less used to, to look for, for, for different ways of, of, of earning stuff, um, through photography, let's say right now, um, I think that it's, a, there's great opportunities that with, with you, you, that being YouTube and, and podcasts and things like that, but also doing your own publications through Substack and, and all of that kind of, uh, ec- ecosystem allows you to, to pick a little bit from here and there. And, and we in Spain, I think that we don't understand that yet. I would say that in the rest of Europe it's a little bit better. There's definitely mm. interesting publications in Germany, in Holland, so in England, it's not fantastic. I, I would say that the last, the last great place or, or maybe the only place yet to, that someone can leave being a freelance photographer for publication would be the state. And probably not all the states in the United States, some, maybe some of them, um, which, which we know that it, it's hard anyway. Uh, because every, everything went down, as you said, I mean, you, you, you can, you can tell, so imagine that, uh, descenso, how you call that, uh, that, that Descent. going down from, from, I don't know, early 2000s, uh, to now times a million. That would be editorial magazines in Europe.
0: Well, you both you both gravitate to to storytelling. Yeah, you, know, you guys are doing street photography, you're doing travel photography, deb- documentary photography. But the, the the goal really is is to be able to share and tell these stories. So, with the you know with the market for editorial the way the way that it is, how do you sort of how do you sort of plan out not just creating the work? But getting it out there, what was this looking like when you were first, you know, making the effort to make this your careers? Well, when I was starting, um,
1: it was it was easier because you could get commissions here and there. Also, early stages, I saw that it was there was it was important to mix uh, a, a healthy balance between personal, maybe not personal, but interesting work, interesting projects and commercial stuff to, to have that kind of balance. And I, I would say that I started full-time photographer 2007 something like that. Uh, And, and at that time that was, that was fine. And, and I think that the part of sharing stories and, and telling stories and sharing what you do around, it has, has become somewhat easier with, with these outlets that we have available now, John Stanmeyer uh, years ago was saying, now you can be your own editor through Instagram and you can publish stories and stuff like, that. which I, which is something that I don't love the, the, the format, because it's too small. And I don't think that people is really up to, to look for long form things. And in that platform, but the idea, the way of thinking, I think it's, it's interesting and, and that allows you to go and to experiment with different different things. For example, if you're going to have your own, uh, audience through Mm -hmm. some kind of newsletter or something like that, you can also, uh, try to explain your stories through, uh, exhibitions and, and prints, and maybe you have that same audience that you have in your substack that are going to buy your, your, your books and, and this kind of thing. So, so that's something because I, I also decided not to work more with magazines because it's just too much work for very little, um, very little, uh, return, return, and, and not a great, uh, the great relationship. I, I remember having a fantastic, uh, relationship with, uh, my editor in National Geographic here in Spain, and he got fired, uh, the director got fired for, to get cheaper stuff. And I, I, they sent me a contract actually, which is ridiculous. And I, th- I thought, this is nonsense. I'm, I'm not going to work anymore with this because I prefer to spend my, my efforts and to, to spend my time doing something for people that's really going to appreciate what I have to say, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, than just, just throwing stuff out there and I'm not really having a real feedback.
2: Well, and what's interesting. And I think that you were saying, you know, when you had one of the first photo stories published in, when we say national geographic, we're always talking about Spain, um, You know, the of course, there's a lot of prestige in being published in one of these magazines. But at the end of the day, no one who reads these stories looks at who the photographer was. You get much more um, interest when you publish things by yourself, when you create this kind of organism, or what did you call it? Um, the, the environment around you that are there for your work and will pay attention to the things that you have to say, but being published in a magazine of any kind, no one's going to read the story and be like, Oh, who was the photographer?
1: It's not <laughs> really that I, I, it's not really that I, that I want to be known. I don't want people to say, ah, oh, that. I like these pictures, not because of the story and because of the photographer, I, I, am not interested really in that. Um, so I, I, I put first what I have to say, not my name or my face anywhere. Uh, but, but it's not just that it's just the kind of impact that you get. If you get a tiny bit more personal and you can say things your way, um, I think it is, yeah, it's, you're going to reach fewer people, but those people that you read they are going to really engage with that. And, and we have. We have been uh, told many times, uh, oh, I was afraid to go to Morocco, for example, stuff like that. And now because I've seen your book or I've seen the YouTube. Uh, story, I want to go check it out for myself. Uh, and a year ago, this person was uh, thinking that they we're full of uh, Talibans in Marrakech, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that kind of impact, I think it's beautiful. And not only from that perspective, but for the people that it's on, lo- on the locations, they, they they tell us the same thing. Uh, thank you for representing this this whole thing in a way that it's more realistic it's not biased or it's not uh with a certain kind of uh, optic that is going to be uh putting these this, this clichés around like 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 it happens you know yeah the
0: new nikon z8 is a hybrid camera that helps you produce great stills in video without compromise. Its 45.7 megapixel full-frame sensor provides detail-rich resolution with amazing Nikon color. Its responsive autofocus, accurate exposure metering, and lightweight design creates a pleasurable shooting experience that encourages you to go and make photographs. And for videographers, the Z8 provides up to 125 minutes in 4K UHD at 60p or 90 minutes in 8K 30p. It's the kind of camera that once you hold it, you want to go out and make photographs. That's because this camera is more than just a spec sheet. The design makes handling the camera and changing settings intuitive and natural. The Nikon Z8 is a camera that encourages your creativity, not stand in the way of it. Find out more about the Z8 and how it can make a difference in your photography by visiting NikonUSA.com forward slash podcast Z8. I have received so many kind messages from listeners of the show over the past several weeks. So many have shared the difference that this show has made in their lives and their photography. It means so much to me because I can easily lose sight of the power and the reach of this show when I'm hunkered down in this cave. Your support reminds me of how important this show has been and continues to be for many photographers all over the world. And if the show has meant that for you, but you haven't supported us financially, why not change that today? Your monthly contribution makes producing this show that much easier. Each episode is downloaded by thousands of people but only a small handful support us financially. We can really do with your help by you becoming a Patreon supporter today. You can contribute five, ten, twenty dollars or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. By doing so, you help us to produce a show dedicated to great and insightful conversations about what it means to be a photographer and lead a creative life. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Thanks. It's a struggle that any photographer who who wants to tell stories, I think, has struggled with. Um, you know, W. Gene Smith. Uh, who work for Life Magazine Bill Allard for National Geographic yeah. they, They're they famous For their battles with their editors <laughs> In terms of Wanting to tell Feeling like they wanted to tell a story A particular way And and You know And fighting that And uh, I think Bill Allard Either quit or got fired For National Geographic at least twice <laughs> <laughs> And, and I think the same goes for for um, uh, Eugene Smith. But in in during their period, those publications were really the only outlet, yeah, through which you could tell the story. So if you decided to, I'm not going to get it published there. Getting it published elsewhere was incredibly difficult. But now in the age that we live in, you know, a photographer can use YouTube, publish his own zine um create basically their own platform to be able to 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 do that. Was was that a big impetus between uh for you guys to create the Raw Society?
2: Um well <laughs> a lot of the time it, I mean it's so great to have all of these um different tools and a lot of the time when we are thinking about something, uh whether it's a workshop or um, publishing or exhibitions, our kind of motto is, if there's nothing out there that we'll like, we'll do it ourselves. So, which is how the Raw Society magazine was born. Um, I think our workshops are done in a specific way that, um, was a little different to most, um, and
1: we have been told though.
2: Yeah. So we've been told and, um, and, and spaces, you know, we've created events because one of the things that kind of, it irks me a little bit is, you know, why in these kind of photo festivals, so many of them become photo festivals by photographers for photographers. And why are they not more like, a film festival where it's film, but the whole community attends, you know, there's, Mm. there's, why is that not happening in photography?
1: And Uh, that's our current battle is try (laughs) to, to figure out how to, and this is starting for, with our members, of course, is to say, look, you are not talking to other photographers. If if you want to say something and you want to tell stories, you're, you're, the whole thing, it's, it's not, for me, because I'm going to critique, I'm going to see your work in a, in a way that maybe I like it, maybe I'm not. I'm going to understand statically what you, what's your point, but that, that critique, that, uh, feedback is not helpful because what you really need to say is, is what's interesting to you, what you want to share and what you want to, to explain to others. Right. Uh, so it's and and if you're going to promote mm-hmm. yourself, we're going, we are going to promote ourselves. It's going to try to, to make community and, and do talks and stuff and try to, to generate this idea that photographers need to sell photography to non photographs, to civilians, <laughs> to non photographers, <laughs> right? And it's, yeah. it's nice to talk about it and it's nice to have these conversations. Of course, it's, it's hugely important. But, but once you are going to try to sell your book, your stuff, try to see how it's going to be possible that my mom buys it. Because you're going to talk about something, um, that's your goal, is that someone is not really a photographer. Of course, maybe it's going to be someone who's related, maybe a graphic designer. That's fine. we can start there, right? Uh, with the surroundings of 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 photography, if you like. Uh, but try to to explain to others uh uh what's your point, what's your view and And that's the the great battle that we have. We are going through the last couple of years trying to put together uh, exhibitions and things and, and, and gatherings for, for people just to understand what's, what's the point of view of a photographer, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and, and adding that, you know, it's a little of a lot of things, actually. It's getting the non-photographer to be interested in photography, um to appreciate it to have a little bit more of a lang- photographic language because funnily enough Im- even though everybody has access to some kind of camera nowadays um that doesn't mean that they understand the language of photography it's a language right yeah. um but also to so promoting photography amongst other non photographers Supporting people who want to learn the language. So our community is not for professionals. It's like exclusively for professionals. It's literally anyone who wants to kind of start their journey or in the middle of their journey of photography and just want to go get better. Because imagine if everybody that had a camera in their hand could, would consciously try and tell stories
0: yeah. Cuz I think that's that's the way you tap into that audience that isn't photographers. Right. Is is by telling the stories. Right. Because that's what's going to lead people to want to look at the photographs and delve deeper. I mean, there are countless people that I've had on on the show that have focused on on really poignant personal subject matters with their with photography. Mm. And that's what's led me to want to talk to them. But right. it's also what's built an audience outside of other photographers. Because otherwise, you're just navel-gazing. Yeah. You, know, you get people looking at your work and going, you know, what lens did you use? What's the f-stop? <laughs> what's the, the shutter sort of speed? You know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. You spend all this time, all this effort, all this energy making these photographs. And if that's the level of discussion on it. And it nev- and it's a picture that never sees itself to paper in the, fr- you know, in the end. It never gets mm-hmm. printed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are you spending all your time, your energy, your life creating something that is a really no consequence beyond, you know, yeah. beyond that kind of discussion? Um, so yeah, I can understand the, um, you know, the challenge that a lot of people sort of face in terms of, being able to sort of quantify that for themselves, and I think a, a, a big part of it is this discussion of people, especially uh, people who are coming up in photography, who are really concerned with their style. How do I get a style? You know, mm-hmm. what's my style? How that 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 thing that there's somehow some aesthetic, and I think that this conversation is is a good. Opportunity to make the point that it's it's not so much what your style is, is what story are you do you want to tell? What story are you uniquely uh, able to tell? Yeah, right. Because I've had conversations with people who have either either been caring for um, um, an adult, you know, a parent who's in ill health or has Alzheimer's or some other medical aim element or a child who has special needs. And that work, when it's gotten out there, has created such an audience and an impact with that audience. Mm -hmm. But it it was these were these were photographs and stories that only they could tell. Yes. And then then they discovered there are other people out there who have shared similar experiences. And that created, you know, a dynamism around the work that wouldn't exist if you were just sharing the work amongst other photographers.
2: Absolutely. But I, that, hmm.
0: but I think that most people, including myself, often think about my life isn't that interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't have an interesting story to to tell.
2: But let me challenge you. encouraging people Let me challenge you, then. Challenge yeah, well, you then. Okay. I, so I think it's, it's, I agree that the personal becomes really uh, interesting because, you have a unique outlook on on that subject, right? But I don't think that it's only limited to that. It's really finding the things that interest you. (laughs) Because those are the things that you're going to be emotionally engaged with. And that's where this famous voice will probably come out is because you're engaged with something. So looking for stories that are just going to be I don't know, um, headline, you know, the big stories that are going to sell, like thinking about it that way is probably not a good way. It's probably better just to say, okay, what are the things I'm passionate about?
1: Right. Or intrigued with or intrigued.
2: Yeah.
1: You you were talking about Dean Smith and one of the most famous essays, because people tend to look down to stuff like street photography, for example, for, and it's for a good reason. Because people tend to look for it's, it's, it's easy to do you go out to the street and you can do it right but uh, people start to look for just characters and funny things that are happening or simply static stuff but you can have a voice and you can you can say something about what you see in, in, in your street and your corner in your neighborhood something like that uh, uh, or in, a, in your own city and mm-hmm. going back to. To Smith with a, with a Pittsburgh project. That's a street photography essay basically oh, in, yeah. in the foundation of it. Right. And it was his, his own <laughs> big problem, but now is one of the most famous and quoted essays in the history of photography, uh, in general, not just street photography or documentary photography or anything like that. So I think that you have an intention behind this is photography in, in Spain, Jose Manuel Navia, that I'm a great fan, has says photography is not who knows how to operate the camera. Photography is who has something to say, which I think is very interesting because you can just, you can, you can say stuff from a, from an observational point of view through stuff that you see in the streets, but you have to think about and You have to have certain knowledge. Um, and that's going to become something a little bit more more, more interesting for someone, I don't know who, I mean, lots of people that we are not aware, I think, um, but, um, for, for, from where you come, the intention behind any kind of body of work that one produces is, is, is what makes it interesting for,
0: for someone It makes personal. So you have very, a variety of different facets in the Raw Society. You have, you have the magazine that you mentioned. You have the workshops that you're doing. You have these, um, critiques that happening. But, you know, you're doing a whole lot of different things, um, in here. So sort of explain what the, the dynamic is and why you have all these various components. You know, what's, what's sort of the goal that you're hoping for the members to have as being part of the, the community? a good question because it's hard to, it's hard to answer to
1: be honest. It's, uh, it's, it's the kind of stuff that even people that becomes a member is like, oh, I didn't know that you guys were doing this thing and this other stuff. And, and I don't, th- I, I started not to think too much about it. I think that we propose things and we offer stuff that we think that is going to be useful for, for anyone that wants to express themselves, if that makes sense. So it's not really that we want to <clears throat> put together things that are going to make you the best photographer in the planet is that Mm -hmm. at certain stage of your, or your career or your hobby or whatever it is, there's going to be certain things that you want to know. You want to share with someone else that needs to be understood by someone that speaks the same language. And, and some of those things are going to be workshops on location for very different reasons. um, And we choose specific places for different, uh, for, for different reasons as well, right? go to Cuba, you want to, um, I don't know, uh, perfectionize the aesthetics and to practice things because it's relatively easy to do photography in Cuba and it's very photogenic and, and all of that. We also to, to, Nepal, on the other hand, to do more like a, more storytelling or documentary ask if you, if you want, because you need to immerse yourself a little bit more in the in the culture and to explore a little bit more, there's, uh, there's a definitely a, a language barrier and things like that. So we, we decide to go to different places for different reasons, but also there's just people that needs uh, to have a honest feedback and which, which you have seen probably in the grid house and, and, and these things that there, there is a need for, for honest feedback for people. <laughs> and, and we try to offer that in a community that everybody is going to feel safe and they can share whatever they, they need to do. And everybody, um, shares their, their, their opinion and their point of view. And, and of course, uh, who is a little bit more experienced and that's my role there is, is to, to try to, to guide the members through, through what, whatever are, are they going through the project or, or some kind of sequence or something like that. And the magazine started because we wanted to gather all of that and a little bit more from collaborations with people and try to to put this talent that we have, that it's very big to, to, her, to, share with people that are non-photographers precisely. Um, and, and so they have a place to, to tell their stories, their point of view, uh, from stuff that is super different, uh, someone, uh, that, uh, her grandma was, uh, in Nazi Germany and for, to someone else that has been going to, uh, Cuba to explain the. Black, the black market in, in <laughs> Cuba, it's, it's very varied. And uh, we have interviews and things like that. So long story short, <laughs> I tend to ramble as a good Spanier. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's, we try to identify what's going to be helpful. And if we can, we are going to just try to move it and, and to put it out there for people to just the same with, with you Lubanda online course and these things, we just decided to share it for free for people just
2: to just have access to knowledge. Yeah. Um, I would, I mean, on a more kind of everything, it's not, uh, it's not very planned. You know, the beauty of it being a very small team, it's Jorge and I and May, who's based in New York and she's our studio manager and she's amazing um so everything really genuinely happens very organically so you know we start with these workshops this is the first kind of entry of okay let's share what we know with other people and let's bring them to these places and because we've been there and we've been able to create these relationships with the locals over there let's immerse them into this and let's explore it through photography. That's kind of, you know, first step. What we found, even though at the very beginning, you know, it, it took a while to take off, um, was that we were getting a lot of people who were coming on more than one workshop and that, you know, we had a very, very small community, but they were very enthusiastic about what we were doing and would come to one, two, three workshops. So that kind of brought us to think, okay, well, you know, the people are engaged and they like it and we're doing something right here. We talk to them well after our workshops. We have contact with them. They'll feel comfortable emailing us to, you know, chat about certain things and follow up. And and we were really happy to, you know, we wanted to be involved in what was happening next with these people that would come to our workshop. And so that's where the community started. You know, we said, okay, well, this seems to be something that people want. Let's, let's start, you know, building, giving membership options so that people can sign up and, um, you know, and slowly we'll build a community. And if people are as enthusiastic as these first few people, then we can do something really amazing. And that started going, uh, we then created membership pro, which is, Um, for those who are already either just about to start their career as pro photographers or that are already pro photographers. Um, And with them, we do more of collaborative projects. Um, We also sometimes hear of a project that maybe Jorge and I are not ideal for or can't do. And we will then pass it on to, you know, like figure out who in our member pro community would be the best person to do that job and things like that. Um, and they are also the ones that are automatically included f- or were automatically included for our, uh, the launch of our first magazine, because that's where we, it, it was a starting point, right? Okay. Um, so all of it kind of, there's a, you can, you f- can, there's definitely a route that you can see. It's not just random things, but it's okay. We're at this point now. What what can we do next, right? And this last, what can we do next? um Was the magazine, which I have to say, I mean, we all all of the stuff we do are experiments. Well, you know, and we
1: have a new next that maybe we can give you as a how do you call it, a okay? Ad- but let me, fi-
2: <laughs> no, but wait, let me finish. No, it's going to give have you a scoop. Okay. Um but yeah, so the the magazine what was amazing of this kind of experiment was that we well we sold we sold out very quickly, um but a lot of the people not only it took the time to email us saying how much they liked it and and things like that, but a lot of them were not photographers which was our our goal to begin mm. with you know of course we the first few that bought the magazine were but we have a really wide uh, um you know spectrum of people who've bought the magazine and that for us was really really exciting um and we also wanted to create because the, the the magazine is a not a nonprofit project or so it's just so that it you know, the, it finances itself and that's it. Um, but in order for the next issue, so the second issue to be published and a little less of it coming out of our pocket.
1: <laughs> because I have to say that everybody gets paid in this is free stuff that we ask for people to give us pictures to put
2: something. Well, the there. first issue we had the kind collaboration because we could not pay everybody, well, anyone, but... That's, that was the deal is, you know, we're going to get this launched. And then from here, for all s- like next um, issues, we are going to figure out a way that you guys can get paid. And so the solution um, was a little bit bizarre, but um, it was all our pro members could pitch a story that they wanted to work on it could be ongoing or or uh, to be started and they would put the what they estimated would be the cost of doing this story including their fees and the actual cost of if travel nights etc so this price and the story was published on our website and open to the public to adopt Mm. So people not adopt the full story because I'm sure that not a whole lot of people are going to just put, you know, $2,000 or $3,000 on a story, but they could kind of vote by donating um, to those stories. And each person had a minimum that they would accept to do the story. And so all the people who managed to make their minimum within a certain period of time are the ones that are now going to be in the next edition.
0: Wow, that's a fascinating concept.
2: So, now we through our, you know, our platform, we've been able to get money to pay all of these people who are going to be producing the stories um we're just covering the cost of printing and that way you know we feel good about everything everyone gets paid um and uh and and you know it, it, i think that it's a really cool way of getting people involved in what stories they want to read in the next issue because yeah. it's kind of voting by putting a you know a little bit of money into it mm-hmm. um and and so we want this to be a collaborative thing. We want people to be like, "Oh, I'm actually, I'm really interested in knowing more about." Um, I don't know. Um... And the variety of the stories
1: of the yeah. next issue are just fascinating. We have story about the transport, the bus transportation in Mexico. <laughs> so that got that got financed by yeah. some by people. They, so that's what I was saying at the beginning that if you have some, you, if you have an interesting point of view, there is going to be people interested in your story. So the one of the members, uh, found interesting that Mexicans travel around Mexico through buses,
2: but huge amounts. Yeah. It's like, like millions of people,
1: yeah. which is kind of interesting to be honest, but, but who, who, who could tell? So that got, uh, one of the first one actually, yeah. uh, cover the whole, the whole cost of the, of the thing. And, uh, we have, I don't know, it's, it's so strange. We have Nick brand, for example, that's, uh. Uh, we have an interview with him. We have uh, your story, which is fascinating. It's about uh, addictions
0: and
2: alcohol addiction.
0: So it's very varied. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed the first issue. Um, that that's the that, uh, first story on on the, the peso dollar issue in, uh, in Cuba. That was great. I've heard about it, but I've not read something in, in as much detail as that. So that of, yeah. sort of spelled it out. You know, and it was like great. And the images as well, which is beautiful. And I have to compliment you on just the, the quality of the publication. Uh, Thank as you. As my dad would say, nice paper. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Can you hear that, Rob? We don't want to change the paper. Our designer was like, do you want to change the paper? I was like, no, I love the paper. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> um, but that means a lot coming from you, knowing that you've got a lot of experience with that. Um, and yeah, we're, we're really proud of it. I hope that we can continue for many more years and keep doing the stories that people are interested in, um, and, and expanding in, yeah. in
1: ideas and, in, um, and in involving people, um, to, to, to learn the language and to see what happens. I think it's, it's interesting and it's beautiful.
0: How is, how is your Collaboration with each other, but especially with the work that you've been doing with, with the other photographers, for each of you, how has that shaped the way you tell stories?
1: Well, I think that has been quite interesting to, especially to me, I would say, I'm going to just jump there, because when you have certain ex- experience, you tend to, to not to ex- explore or experiment with things, I would say um, it, it, I, I think that it tend to happen. Def, definitely ha- happened to me. Uh, stuff that works. I have my own way mm-hmm. of, of dealing with, with, with stories and with approaching stuff and, and visually as well. Um, and then when you have someone that is closer to you, first of all, Christa, I have to say crystal is a color expert and I'm colorblind. Um, so oh. it's, it's, I think it's, it's cool to, to explain because I'm, because of that, because I'm colorblind, I'm very interested in, in exploring color because I don't understand it very well. So I find it fascinating, but that means that I'm going to create definitely very funny looking color combinations because to me, that stuff looks different. Also Christelle, she's just absolutely fantastic, um, editor. She edits in sequence in a way that it's very, very interesting to me and very cool. So I think that and, and and of course, being a tiny bit less experienced than I, she approaches experimenting with style and with certain lights and things like that. That you say, "Oh God, that's very cool!" So I want to to try to pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that, to include it in my own in my own things. Now, well, I think it happens uh, a lot.
2: Um, and the same happens with the people we collaborate with yeah. uh, within our community you know it's it's so enriching for the same reason Jorge was saying is you know you first of all, we're constantly sharing the work and we're talking about it and and so when you see that someone's approached something one way um, and and we're very you know we do the thing you know we photograph in a way, but in no moment in time do we want anyone else to do that same photography. You know, We love that mm-hmm. there's a variety. And as you can see in our magazine, there's very varied kind of photographs. We don't want everyone to be doing the same style. That would be really boring, right? So um, Stephanie Dupree-Ruth, who you mentioned about the Cuba um, story, She's got a really like killer style that has nothing to do with us. And we love, you know, chatting about her work and our work because it's so different and and you get ideas from each other and can feed off of each other in a really interesting way. And you get
1: I'm a little bit slap in the face sometimes because for example i've been preaching not to shoot from the hip for years <laughs> and then we become friends with that kashi and he starts to, and he published a book that it's all everything is shooting from the hip well so not I,
2: necessarily right from the hip but yeah yes. but you
1: you know what i mean yeah. so and i have to say oh fuck if he's 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 doing this i mean it can be interesting <laughs> um, and we we talk about it but um yeah, it's, it's definitely cool to to share stuff with other authors in a way that it's always going to influence you. Maybe not how someone uses black and white or, or certain lens, but how they, they approach the creativity aspect of it. I think it's interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, my last question for each guest is I re- ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone. Someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? And why don't you lead us off, Christelle?
2: Oh, man, I was going to say, let Jorge go first.
0: <laughs> I need to think for a second.
2: And I know that he definitely has the answer.
1: Well, you know, someone that is not very well known in the States uh, because uh, he's a Spanish photographer and he's more or less known in Europe, but he only speaks, speaks Spanish. But if he's a master and, and I think that it's, it's interesting to share stuff from where you are, I am going to say Jose Manuel Navia, I will send you, uh, some link or something because it's, it's, it's a very Spanish name. <laughs> um, but I, I love the, this guy, uh, his photography is just brilliant. And I, and I like a lot his perspective and how he, he uses places to tell stories, uh, and this I don't know if this quote is very well known in 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 the states that if si las paredes hablaran
2: if walls if, would speak
1: yeah is hmm. that
2: something that yeah. they say in the US
1: so this guy yeah. m- knows how to make the walls speak which is very cool too in my opinion nice
2: oh man i don't know if i have the answer yet um <laughs>
1: To say, I knew that you were going to ask this
2: or myself. (laughs) I like to be more spontaneous. Well, since we have been, you know, I'm going to something that's quite out of what we do um, and that I've recently discovered and very quickly added to our second issue of the Raw Society magazine um, is Nick Brandt. Um, He really, I, I love... I love his approach in terms of concept in photography. You know, he always has such a strong concept behind his images. Um, It's, I think, and especially, you know, um, with animals, I, I think that it's hard to be different because you know, it's an animal and how do you get people to engage and what he's done. And and it's successively gotten, I think, in my opinion, more interesting. His journey is, um, is the concepts behind his work. You know, how do I portray an idea through photographing animals, animals and humans, et cetera, et cetera. And, and how do I make that have impact and create change, because that's, I think, one of the big things that he is trying to do is, you know, create change through his photography. So I really, really enjoy his work.
0: Awesome. Well, Christelle, Jorge, thank you so much. It was really wonderful to, to get to know you better. And uh, I'm a great fan of your work, and I, I wish you great success with it.
2: Thank you very much. you for
0: Thanks to Jorge and Cristel for joining us. Learn more about their work by visiting therawsociety.org. And if you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidateFrame. You can also support us financially by contributing directly via PayPal or Patreon. I'll be leading a street photography workshop in Los Angeles through the Los Angeles Center of Photography soon. If you're in the area, please consider signing up by visiting LACphoto.org or click on the link in the show notes or the website. We've relaunched our newsletter. If you want to receive updates on everything related to TCF and book recommendations and announcements on special events like workshops from us and some of our guests, please sign up by visiting our website. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app. Available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frames Audio Engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the OtherMartinTaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And this is EbodyNX, and this is the Candid Frame.